love is all that I can give to you. Love is more than just a game for two. Two in love can make it. Take my heart and please don't break it. Love was made for me and you. Welcome to Love Savers Radio, ministering the blessings of covenant. This is Walter and Sandy Fox from Love Savers Ministry, called by God to minister the blessings of the marriage covenant by enriching, encouraging, strengthening, and praying for the healing of marriages, especially marriages in crisis. Hi, Love Savers listeners. This is Keith Davis, the proprietor of the Golden Pear Cafes. As I enter my 30th year of marriage, I encourage you to seek the Lord's guidance and wisdom for your marriage, for He is the one who can help you day by day in building a lifetime of peace, joy, fond memories, and a beautiful family. When Anne walked into the Golden Pear to apply for a job as Golden Pear's first pastry chef, I had no idea that God had brought my future wife and mother of our three children literally to my front door. But that is exactly what he did. And although we have had our challenges and ups and downs, God has richly blessed our marriage and he gets the glory for our 30 years together. So I encourage you to seek God's will and use Love Savers as a resource to improve and bless your marriage. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Mark chapter 10, verse 9. Today's guest authors are Ryan and Selena Frederick. They wrote the book, Fierce Marriage. They say you must put Christ at the center of your marriage, measuring everything you do and say to each other. The Fredericks help the reader handle five key areas of marriage, priorities, communication, money, sex, and conflict. Their hopeful approach in their book will help you see marriage as not just a relationship you should try to keep healthy, but also one worth fighting for in every situation. Sandy talks with the Fredericks today about their book, Fierce Marriage, radically pursuing each other in light of Christ's relentless love. Let's listen. Hi, Ryan and Selena. Hi. Hi, Sandy. We're going to discuss your wonderful book, Fierce Marriage, radically right. pursuing each other in light of Christ's relentless, relentless love. And yep. where does the term fierce marriage come from? Oh, that's uh, that, that's one of Selena's uh, brain brain children. <laughs> um, so we, we kind of started this the whole thing with the idea that uh, marriage takes a fierce tenacity that never gives up and never gives in. And so that's true. That, that was kind of the underlying premise. And we I don't know if the tagline came first or if the name came first, but either way, here we are. <laughs> right. What changed the trajectory of your marriage, Selena? The trajectory of our marriage. Um, well, in reference to the book, early on we um, went on kind of a European tour, I guess, more or less, and um, we had just graduated college, and Ryan had been sick kind of that last month or so, um, doing through finals and all of that, and we thought he just had kind of the flu and was getting over it. And uh, we decided, well, I decided, we decided, <laughs> we found a job in Switzerland uh, for me to ride horses and train and kind of do some stuff that I love. 
and off to Europe we went, off to Switzerland particularly, and Ryan all the while was sick. Um, we didn't know how sick until a couple weeks in, and to make a long story short, he had a he had to have heart surgery over there in Switzerland, and um, we were about a year and a half married, almost two years married, and it was a scary, scary time and definitely changed how we view marriage. There's a lot to that in that book. Yeah, there's there's a lot more detail there, but we... I'm not sure how far you want me to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really scary, I must say. The infection yes. around your heart, yeah. Yes, I yes. Mean, wow, Yeah, was it was something. it was a... We, we were, I think, we're blessed with uh, just being naive and being young and not realizing how, you know, how close to the, to death that I truly was. But mm-hmm. I know at one point you were, Selena, you were contemplating, you know, flying home as a widow with your husband in a box, mm-hmm. you know, going back to this community that we grew up in and, mm-hmm. with, you know, being a widow all mm-hmm. of a sudden at the age of 23. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a very sobering thought. So... You know, we we actually have never had like a, I wouldn't say a catastrophic marriage event. We had a catastrophic life event that <laughs> that caused us, I think, to take life more seriously and therefore our marriage more seriously. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, there's that. Uh, I think it's is it Psalm ninety twelve. It says, uh, "Lord, teach us uh, to count our days that we may gain that we may gain a heart of wisdom." Mm-hmm. And at one point. Definitely could count my days, and it was mm-hmm. uh, it was about one day, <laughs> was guaranteed. And uh, I think that since is that that's kind of that uh, that perspective still feels very real. And there's this kind of sweet sense of urgency in light of the gospel. There's just a lot of work to be done, and not a whole lot of time to do it. Yes. How have we confused what marriage is in our society, and what role does covenant? have in it. Would you comment on the magnitude of covenant, the rock oh, of covenant, the power and purpose of lifelong commitment? Yeah, covenant's one of my favorite um, uh, topics think, to talk about, right? Yes, it's one of my favorite themes yeah. in Scripture because it just is, it's God's chosen avenue to kind of govern his relationship between him and his people, right? And so there's conditional covenants, covenants there's unconditional covenants. And, you know, I think we, we've, you asked the question, how, how have we kind of missed the mark in terms of marriage or how, how we kind of twisted it? And I think society as a whole, we tend to see marriage as just a step in our own self-actualization, right? In our own becoming who we want to be as people. And, you know, I think we, we do that on a lot of levels. You know, you get the job that you want because you want to say you have that job so you, get, you can have the income that you want, so you can have the things that you want. And I think we kind of lump our marriage into that and in that in that we, as long as our, what that does is it tends to, it tends to just discount the whole idea of covenant and it turns it more into a contract and that, it, and, and it's an exchange, meaning that, you know, as soon as you stop being the spouse that I want you to be and serving my needs the way that I think you need to serve them, meaning mm-hmm. that you're not making me feel the way I, I feel like I need to feel about this relationship, as soon as that ends, our relationship is on the is is on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. That's when divorce then becomes an option, mm-hmm. and that's clearly not what covenant is. As mm-hmm. we look at the theme of covenant in Scripture, now, granted, you know. It's, it's a different type of covenant than, than God's covenant with his people, but the heart of it is the same in that it's not conditional in many regards, mm-hmm. in that, and, and that's not what love is. I think we spend a lot of time unpacking love mm-hmm. and re, redefining love and redeeming 
this idea of love and, mm-hmm. and kind of realigning our own understanding of it with Scripture's definition of it and not the world's definition of it. And it ends up giving us covenants the only avenue adequate enough to let love become love, mm-hmm. to let love take full bloom. And a uh, contract would never do that. So to answer your question, I think in summary is I think we've just, we've, we view marriage as a way to, uh, as, as a, I think a means to an end that is ourselves and my own happiness when really marriage is a means to another end. And that's our sanctification mm. and our uh, relationship and our, the, our relationship with Jesus, our relationship uh, with each other, but also our ministry um, mm-hmm. in light of the gospel. Yes, at the um, some final chapters in the book, you give us examples of covenant, biblical covenant. Do you want to share a bit on that with our listeners? Yeah, yeah. So the covenant chapter, like I said, it's one of my favorite topics. Um, it was actually the first one that, that I wrote, and it was way too long. I think it was supposed to be about 5,000 words, and it was about 16,000. And so we took we edited that down to about 10 total and then cut it in half and put, and put the biblical covenants in the back. And so, yeah, so what you see in the back, and we, we really value God's word clearly. And, uh, we, we value, um, using our minds to the glory of God and, mm-hmm. and understanding these themes, these themes in scripture. So we, we, uh, I convinced, we convinced the publisher to keep it in there as an appendix. And so, yeah, what you're referring to is the, in the appendix is the biblical covenants. We talk about, uh, the Adamic covenant, the Edenic covenant, mm-hmm. the Noahic covenant, and all the different, um, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and what all those covenants were. Um, and what, what I love to see, and I hope, hope we've illustrated this, is you can see this, String, this uh, common thread of covenant throughout the whole story arch of Scripture, right? From mm-hmm. Genesis to Revelation, you see the covenantal character of God mm-hmm. uh, governing the relationship between God and His people, mm-hmm. and, and, and we see what's even really cool and how it pertains to marriage is that covenant is, is uh, so the relationship between God and His people is so often likened to a marriage that we, we have to take note as married people. Mm-hmm. And so in, I think there's one part, I think it's in Ezekiel, um, where, you know, Jesus is, or God is calling the people of Israel a faithless bride. Mm-hmm. And he's just like railing against them because they've just betrayed him and turned their back on him. And, mm-hmm. and it's like all of this really hurt. He's very, very hurt language. And then at the end of that, he says, yet I will still love you. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Mm-hmm. And just that, that theme in scriptures, it almost brings me to tears to think about a God who is so justified mm-hmm. in not loving his people, yet still loved his people to the point of death, even death. He humbled himself. Mm-hmm. See that in, I think it's in Philippians, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, um, to, to honor that relationship and to, to bring the relationship full circle. So I can go on and on. <laughs> I guess so, right? Okay. Well, I'll go on now. How have you seen priorities influence your marriage and others? Priorities. Influence, yes. Lena, go ahead. Oh, priorities, yes. How they've um, influenced our marriage. Well, you know, priorities are a big, a big hot topic. Well, we I feel like in, like in marriage, list. yeah, we definitely tend to think of them as a list. And you know, if I, I I woke up, I had time with God, I took care of the kids, I'm off to work, I did this or whatever. And it's, you know, I think for us, God's really shown us that um, there's there's a better way we can steward i think this idea of priorities and that's who we've we've developed kind of a concentric it's not new i don't think but 
it's helped us understand how to approach priorities and it's been like a concentric type circle. So if you can envision like a target, um, how there's different circles and they kind of go in and in, you have like your, your, the center of your circle, which essentially is God (laughs) and Jesus. And then kind of your first disciples, which is each other and your family. And then out from that. And so the idea is that God being the center of your relationship, the, the center of your life, you know, the rock, everything, your relationship with God, everything else kind of exudes out it of that. It radiates out. out of that. I like the picture of like you're throwing a rock in a pond. Mm-hmm. And it's not that, uh, like you were saying, we have a list, right? Like if I just, if I've gotten my devotions out of the way, right. I can really do what I want to do. That right. tends to be the mindset. But really like the, it, if our priorities are right, mm-hmm. Christ is in everything that mm-hmm. we do. And he's motivating everything we do. Uh, I love this verse from Acts twenty twenty four. It's become our our kind of like our our credo mm-hmm. as a family. Uh-huh. It's, but, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Of course, that's Paul mm-hmm. writing there. But uh, it's this idea that like this life in itself, it's, it's permeated by the scriptures, permeated by by the ministry that we receive, and that's to testify to the gospel of the great of the grace of God, and right priorities reflect that on every right, level. Right. So how I love my wife is a reflection of how I love Jesus. How I love my kids is a reflection right. of how I love Jesus. Right. And it's, it's, it's very intertwined. It's very like, right. it touches on each other. It's not compartmentalized. It's, it's being able to, you know, kind of toss the list out and see how loving God, what does that, what does that mean? How does that govern right. my decisions and how I treat my husband or how I treat my kids and how I, you know, deal or not deal with, but uh, interact with the community around me and how am I loving them yeah. for the gospel? So um, to add texture to that, my, my dad's a psychologist and he said, uh, you know, he's dealt with for, I think 30 or 40 years, he's been a counselor and worked with many, many couples and all manner of problems, all things marriage, all things marriage. <laughs> and he's, and I asked him, what's the biggest issue that marriages that you, that you counsel are mm-hmm. dealing with? And he said, without even hesitating, without a shadow of a doubt, it's time management and priorities. It's before, like, you know, other hot hot button issues like uh-huh. sex and pornography and things money, like that. Yeah. And money, which are traditionally what I would, would have thought were the biggest ones. Yeah. Uh, but it's time and priorities. Mm-hmm. And so we as believers have a unique responsibility to really redeem our time mm-hmm. um, and use it for the glory of God. And that starts in the home. Mm-hmm. Amen. Talking about money, money is, and I hear it so often, one of the most difficult issues in many marriages, especially young ones. But old oh, ones yeah. too. <laughs> what do you, yeah. an insight do you have for couples who struggle to engage it well? Yeah, well, we have this uh, Western mentality, right. Right? and that's, it's it's we are consumers and that's just become our culture. Uh, we have, we live in a very unique time in, in the history of the world and that we have such, such an abundance of resources and that we are consuming things we don't need. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not, uh, you know, unchecked. That is a horrible thing. Right. Okay. So our approach yeah. to money is, is governed by the biblical, uh, Idea biblical stewardship. stewardship. Yeah. 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 And understanding that none of it's ours, it's all God's, and mm-hmm. He's entrusted everything we have, be it them relationships, time, money, or talent. Everything has been given 
into our care. Right. It's entrusted into our care. Right. And so in light of that, and there's a whole, I mean, you could talk about stewardship for weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole theology behind it. It's by far, you know, the model that Scripture lays out for us as financial managers mm-hmm. is to steward and not own. Um, but once we have that foundation in place, then, we, then we, we're left with, okay, now what? Now how do we deal with that in our marriage? And so we propose in the book mm-hmm. two budgets, mm-hmm. right? We have a, 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 a functional budget, which is kind of a how do we now. deal with what we have today yeah. and here. Uh, and then we have our future budget, which is how much is enough? Which is, yeah, it just defines when yeah. is enough enough. And what do you do with the excess if it comes, right. becomes, and that really leads you into, you know, having a, having a family vision and intentional living and, um, being able to mm-hmm. really connect those dots. I feel like. Yeah. Cause we were talking about this out on the deck. We were, mm-hmm. we were having, we were just sipping some coffee, afternoon coffee. That afternoon, <laughs> we're on the West coast. So it's a little bit earlier for us. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, we were just talking like, we just have this tendency that, or couples have this tendency that if you have money in the bank or if you can afford a better car or a better house, you just, you start looking. Right. You start buying better, more things. Right. And that's not necessarily, and I think what we're trying to say is get, we're trying to have couples pause. Right. Before, before just automatically buying, automatically right. consuming, but really thinking missionally about your money. Yeah. Hmm. You also talk about the commingling of funds and bank accounts. Do you want to yes. say something about that? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, I think for, you know, for young couples uh, that are getting married, maybe a little bit even later in life, we're all kind of used to having our own money and having our own things and, and commingling your money really, you know, money kind of sits really close to our hearts. Yes. <laughs> and it likes to, we like to grip it hard with our hands. And so, um, you know, putting that into the same pot of having, you know, we have a shared bank account. Like there's, I don't have any hidden money from him. I don't have any she money or he doesn't have any he money. And we, we right. know where everything's going and we are very open and transparent about that. And that has only helped our marriage and strengthened it and helped it flourish. Um, there's nothing in scripture that says thou shalt like merge right. your bank account. Right. right? <laughs> uh, but we've, you know, we have a, have a lot of couples ask us, Hey, yeah. what should we do? And it's, we've talked to couples that are like, <laughs> and I'm <laughs> to each his own, right? This is one of those things that's like, it's a gray area, you know, whatever your, your conviction lies, it's not well, going to, it's, it's, it's a tertiary issue. Yeah, but you definitely have to dig into your heart, you know, yes. and say where. You do have to go there. Right. And am I, I, if you dig far enough, you're going to end up at the. How much am I loving money <laughs> yeah. versus loving my But we know couples that are like. Oh, he didn't pay his half of the rent this month. Yeah, it's not, I don't think that... And it's like, well, that is so bizarre to me. Well, I'm, it's not feeding the idea of unity and yes. covenant. And so we always encourage, if given yeah. the opportunity, yeah. and I think in the book we have this opportunity, <laughs> is we encourage couples to, at the first chance, to merge their lives at right. every level. Right. Um, so marriage is not just a symbolic thing, it's an actual thing that happens, right. and, uh, and that includes bank accounts and, and things like that. So Right. In the book and on your podcast, you speak candidly about sex and intimacy. Why do you think there's been such an avoidance of this in Christian circles, talking about it? Mm. What can the church as a whole do better in talking about it? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that the church, and it obviously depends on where you were raised and what kind of church you were in. There's a lot of different expressions of this, and as mm-hmm. far as dysfunction, <laughs> I think across the board, churches have been dysfunctional historically uh, around the area of sex. Mm-hmm. And I think most of that dysfunction comes from um, 
uh, a worldview or at least a philosophy that's more rooted in Stoicism than it is in Christianity, right? And and what it is is basically this idea, um, or pl- Platonism is another. Like, I think Platonism is a branch of Stoicism, but I'm, we're not a, we're not talking about philosophy here. <laughs> um, but essentially, it's that the idea that sex is carnal and therefore it is evil, and um, and I think the church has kind of uh, inadvertently adopted that same kind of oh, it's gross, we shouldn't talk about it, it's shameful in, it, in itself, regardless of, of, uh, of, how, it's, of how you're wielding this yeah. tool, right? Yeah. And so I think it's our responsible, it's responsibility as leaders in the church and in parachurch organizations to educate around the idea of sex. Right, and I think it... Oh, go ahead. But also make it clear that it's a good gift from God right. in the right context. Go ahead. And I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think that it falls under, um, you know, having a relation, a discipleship, like a good relationship with somebody and being discipled by them. I think that's where it functionally kind of works itself out. Because I remember being a teenager sitting in the, you know, the girls talk at church and they're like, you know, sex is only good when you're married and all of that. And I, I fully agree with that. Um, but to have somebody walk alongside me, like then either through the transition of marriage and whatnot, because that, that did affect me, that perspective affected me of, you know, abstinence and then stepping into marriage. Like I didn't have somebody teaching me and showing me this is okay. Like we can talk if you feel these ways, it's okay. Like there's just, I don't think people are having those relationships with each other, um, like woman to woman or man to man, you know, and in, in, under right. this umbrella of discipleship. And I think that we are not doing ourselves any favors by ignoring it. Um, and there's a healthy conversation to have around those things. I think mm-hmm. because the world constant is constant relationship. Constant relationship I think yeah. is, is huge. Yeah. When we got married, we got married fairly young, yeah. 20 and 21. And it wasn't like all of a sudden, Oh, I'm married. Now sex is great. Right. Cause you had all this back history of like abstinence. It's yeah. yeah. It, I, it's not, it's off limits. Right. And then all of a sudden, it's all it's in like a whole new world, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> and then you pile on top of that, yeah, expectations that expectations you're expectations, and even not like sure. sinful expectations right, right. and sinful experiences in the past yeah. on both sides of the equation. And so, you really have to. Um, it, it all comes down to having solid discipleship relationships mm-hmm. that are walking you through these these complex issues because the world is so loud about right, it. Right. Um, the church is not yes. it's not time for the church to be silent. Right. <laughs> right. There can be conflict, as we know, in any relationship, especially in marriages. What advice do you have for couples to do that well? Handle conflict, handling conflict. I think the most, I think the most tangible advice is to fight naked. <laughs> and, <laughs> I thought that was funny when I read that. Yeah, it still is. <laughs> But yeah. you read it. You understand that there's there's a literal application and there's also a figurative application. Uh, I think the literal one's the more hilarious one. Right. I think we tried it once or twice, and it's hard to stay mad when one of you is dis is disrobing. <laughs> it's hard to disrobe when you're mad, <laughs> right? Uh, but the, I think what I, what I seriously mean by that, and I think that that is if if you're fighting and listening to this, and it, it's one tool you can use to literally fight naked, diffuses. but even, yeah, it diffuses the situation sometimes. But figuratively, yeah. uh, if, you, if you think about being naked emotionally and, and naked um, from a spiritual standpoint, and that when you're naked, you can't, go into, you can't go into battle and carry weapons if you don't have armor, right? If mm-hmm. you're, and you're a lot more um, vulnerable mm-hmm. without armor. Mm-hmm. Um, it also means you're a lot more transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, and I think the idea is to just go into battle. Don't take any low blows. Like right. don't bring those weapons in the, you always, you never, you're just like your mother. Right. Uh, remember this hurt that I'm throwing in your face. Right. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's t- it's taking on the perspective of reconciling versus you know being right and winning the fight. You mm-hmm. know, it's, yep. we're working towards reconciliation. If that's always kind of in the back of your mind, um, not to say you won't ever say things you don't regret because literally God knows we've been there. <laughs> um, but it will, I feel like, yes, we cause have, you to right. want to repent, yeah, and come back to each other and reconcile. Yeah, and it. It's, it's easier to listen to if you get, and again, to use that same analogy of taking your armor off mm-hmm. and like you don't have your helmet on, <laughs> like open your ears, yeah. listen to what they're saying, internalize what the other person is saying. Don't just wait until they're mm-hmm. done so that you can say what you want to say. Mm-hmm. All, so We've learned these through hard conversations in many ways. And don't just say anything, as you were mentioning, that you feel like saying. Not just anything you feel like saying, because as you reminded us, there's life and death in the power of the tongue. And Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. want to have life. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, How can we find the power to love uh, when... Affection and feelings wane. Does it mean we're Mm. falling out of love? And why do you say no one should ever take the thought that love can be lost forever? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know. It definitely goes back to like getting into the definition, the biblical definition of love, you know, and starting there and understanding and unpacking how God defines love, you know, it's yeah. patient and kind. It's very much um, an action and a, a verb rather than yeah. um, an emotion. Although emotions were designed to go along with them, they are not the objective necessarily. Right, right. Uh, Gary, Gary Thomas has a great quote. He says, couples don't fall out of love so much as they fall out of repentance. Mm. And I think when I think what he's getting at there is that, uh, we harden our hearts mm-hmm. toward each other, and mm-hmm. that that creates barriers between us. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, we harden. Re, lack of repentance is hardening our hearts toward God, mm-hmm. hardening our hearts toward God, and not recognizing sin for what it is, and, and not recognizing His holiness for what it is. Mm-hmm. And so, to the couple who feels like they're falling out of love, or their their spouse is falling out of love with them, mm-hmm. I would say, pray, love anyway, mm-hmm. look to Jesus for all you need, because you know we, we read in Scripture. He's given us all we need for, mm-hmm. for life and godliness. Mm-hmm. Uh, truly, all we need. That's not a limited scope. Right. Right. All is, is a real word that means everything, mm-hmm. right? And so he's yes. given us all we need to look to him for that fulfillment in that dry season in your marriage. Mm-hmm. Love anyway. Um, and, uh, and and don't trust your feelings in those moments. That, that's like if you're flying your plane through through a storm, right? The, mm-hmm. the worst thing you can do is look out your window for all of your navigation. Because <laughs> you can't see anything. Right, right. right. You need to trust your gauges. You need to trust that up is up and down is down. And, and you know, your your altitude is what it is. Because as soon as you stop trusting that stuff, right. that's when you create the side of a mountain. Right. Uh, instead, trust your gauges, trust God's word, mm-hmm. and look to Jesus for everything you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of a time in my youth when my husband was in the service. He was a naval officer, and he came up to visit me, and one of his friends could was a pilot, and he could fly, and a terrible thing happened. They lost uh, connection, 
you know, with the controller. Mm. And he actually, Walter tells that story, the story about he actually said to Walter, look out the window and see if there are any plants. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, they made it. Then they got scolded when they got to the yeah. airport. They landed at Dulles, I think it was. And they wanted to know what is this little plane doing here with all the jets coming in, you know? Anyway, um, what do you mean when you say the gospel revolutionizes marriage? Yeah, yeah, that's a big statement. So I think it's it's good for you to call us on it because I still believe in it. And the reason being is the gospel, rightly viewed, gives us context for every avenue of our mm-hmm. lives, both here and now, both now and then into eternity. Would you share with us, please, your website so our listeners will know where they can get your book and other resources? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So as you can probably imagine, <laughs> FierceMarriage.com is our website. That's actually our primary blog, but you can see lots of links there. For um, We have devotionals we've written. We have Fierce Marriage, the book, which we've talked about today. Thank you so yeah. much. And we'll just say goodbye and God bless for now. Thank you so much for having us. Thank okay. you so much. Bye-bye.